week's episode of Talking to Mod is sponsored by the Coffee Mod. Don't just dress like an ace face, drink like one too. They're also giving our listeners 15% off when you use the promo code MAGICMOD15. So what are you waiting for? How are we doing everyone and welcome to episode 19 of Talking to Mod. This week we have the fantastic artist Pete McKee. We talk about everything from art to music to mods to bowling shoes and Sheffield Wednesday. So sit back, relax and enjoy episode 19 of Talking to Mod. Oh, get on that. <laughs> we did it at last. Wait, wait. Everyone's like, mate, stick to magic. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> well, let's just stick to painting as well. You know, know what? Honestly, like, uh, listen, it's probably the way I've explained it, Pete, but no, thank you very no, much for. No, uh, it's, uh, no idea. He wasn't showing anything that you kind of uh, were suggesting. So maybe it's my shit old phone. I don't know. But. The thing is, I was in my studio, I got it all set up, I got it on a tripod and everything. Now I'm in the spare bedroom, <laughs> fucking holding it in my hand, it's going to go numb. Oh, well, we, I won't keep you too long. But no, I no, was... no, I can talk like uh, anyone, so we can be on here for about three hours. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> right, mate. I mean, at the moment, I think Dino's the record holder, Dino from The Rifles. He right. loves a chat, especially when he's on the red wine, mate, I tell oh, you. But um, I was... I, I was a similar story. I was all set up in, in, my, in my bedroom, tripod, the light and all that. Yeah. And then Lonnie went to bed early doors. So we stuck him in his room next door. But the missus is like, no, you can't go, you can't go in there. No, you've got to go downstairs and do it because you're a bit loud. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, here we go. But we got there in the end, mate. We did, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm banished upstairs because uh, Mrs. M's watching Coronation Street. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> is that a Lauren and Ardy box set I see in the background? It is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the full collection, Brilliant. yeah. Brilliant, I love them. I remember, I think QVC, I'm not sure if that's still a channel anymore, but I remember they, they were selling it like on special offer on QVC and uh, yeah. I begged my mum to get it for me because Norman, uh, 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 Laurel Hardy, Norman Wisdom, all that, Charlie Chaplin, yeah, I love yeah. all them sort of yeah, films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brought up on it, you know, me, uh, all my family are older than me and so... Whenever it were on telly, I was shoved in front of it, and uh, yeah, it became part of my my DNA. You pass it on down the line, really. The oh. box set that was behind me, I got that from H and V. I think it was about fifty quid when it first came out. Brilliant. Yeah. Do you still just... absolute beautiful classics comedy. Just never never tired of watching. It's kind of now my like Christmas tradition. I put a put a, a Lauren Hardy, a couple of Lauren Hardy videos on on Christmas Eve. Love that. In my household, it's tradition to stick on Tommy Cooper and there's no one else. That's <laughs> yeah, it. I love right, his yeah. stuff, mate. But how you been, mate? You been well? Yeah, all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Working hard. I've got a new exhibition that's about to launch in three weeks' time. And so I've been working really hard to get it all done, all the work that's, uh, that's required for it, yeah. Brilliant, mate. Brilliant. And when's that? Whereabouts is that? Is that hometown? Yeah, it's in Sheffield. A majority of my exhibitions end up in Sheffield, especially the big ones where I build things and stuff and make a, a special occasion out of it. Um, so it's in this warehouse space and um, I've got a little build. There's a guy who used to uh, make theatre sets called Neil Gidley. And so I use him when I need something creating to go with my artwork. So he's beavering away building something for me for the show. And um, it's only on, it's on for two weeks, which is kind of quite long for me normally for shows. 
uh, I used to basically just um, do an album on for two days in a warehouse and I'd paint like third job paintings and do all sorts and just have it on for a day because I couldn't afford to uh, rent anything out for any longer or any security. So you had to see it on that day or not see it at all. So it ended up with like about 5,000 people trudging down to, to see me work. And so this time round, it's on for two weeks and uh, I've had to um, ticket it and make people pay so that I can afford to build this crazy thing that I'm building for the show. So it's all exciting. I'm excited to know what this is. I'm like, I'm looking, when, when does it kick off? Sorry, what's the launch date? It's uh, 30th November is a private launch. And then so the fourth, which is the Saturday is the first day for tickets. So all the Saturdays have sold out now and we're uh, selling all the other dates now through the week. I might have to try and fly down and jump on this to see all about it, mate. I'm excited. Yeah, I invite you to get down there with pleasure so let me know i appreciate that that's very kind of you mate thank you but away from art for yeah. a minute i know you've got a big big love of music like myself yeah what sort of music were you listening to when you were growing up mate well it starts i guess my, my dad who's a lot older than everybody else in the world <laughs> he were, his, his favorite stuff were like the ink spots and uh things like that, so the 19, uh, well, 1930s sort of music. He was a piano player and an accordion player, as well as a steel worker. I think, I guess everybody that age, he um, they, they picked a musical instrument and learned to play it, so just purely for entertainment around the house and stuff. So he performed in um, on, on the clubs and stuff as a, uh, an accordionist, and he had a, an accordion band called, I think, I think it was just simply called the Accordion Serenaders. And they'd wear these big velour shirts and stuff, big sleeves and like kind of uh, continental look, like an Italian uh, sort of kind of vibe. And uh, so it, they did that. And then my brothers, uh, my eldest, Ash Stewart, he grew up in the 60s, so he was a bit of a mod, but he kind of he kind of touched more into the folk uh, movement uh, when that was coming through. So like Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell and all those sort of guys. And uh, so I was brought up on his sort of musical taste. And then our Ian, the middle-aged one, mid middle in the ages, he, he grew up on sort of glam rock and Queen, so early Queen and Alice Cooper and stuff like that. So I grew up uh, listening to that. And then my sis, my big sis, she was a Beatles and uh, Stones fan. So again, I got all that. So, I, you know, a four-year-old kid and I... And, we a record playing a bunch of sing, uh, singles. I think got scratched to death, and the other half got played to death. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of everything in the household, then, isn't it, mate? Eh? You what, sorry? That's a bit of all sorts of music you were oh, listening yeah, to. That's it. Yeah, so I, I just I'm, I'm obsessed with melody in a sense. So I, I'll I'll listen to anything if it's got a great a good hook line to it or a good tune. Uh, I'll soak it up every day of the week, you know. So I've been listening to Doja Cat today, and she because she's got some great hook lines with her, her kind of stuff. And now I, I, I like I've, I've got Spotify, which is obviously the curse of any professional musician because obviously we're all sucking up for now. <laughs> but what it means is I, I just troll troll new stuff all the time, and just I'm obsessed by trying to find something new to listen to. Uh, I never remember any of the stuff now because I'm 56, so I can't, I can't remember what I've had to be seen, never mind what I've listened to. I'm but, a bit yeah, like that. Yeah, but the, coming back to growing up, so when I started then uh, being a spotty with Green Sierra and uh, music suddenly starts meaning something to you rather than it just sounding nice and you get an empowerment from what you're listening to. 
and it tends to be because obviously I grew up with the top of the pops generation, which means that you you visualise the art with the music, you could connect the two, and so you had this visceral experience and seeing these guys wearing clothes that you couldn't get in the shops, and so after all the Queen stuff, and then you get the punk in there. I think the um, I think the music that got me first was kind of ska and mob music in that third, that second wave, and so me and my mate we were we were kind of plastic mods at that time. So he he had though Jason Frost. I don't know if he's listening, but he's uh, he's an old, he's a scooter boy. He's a, um, a, a mechanic, and he's um, so he. He basically learned how to build scooters uh, from nothing, from a manual, and he got his own scooter firm called Absolutely Scooters. So a lot of scooter boys who might be listening to this will know Jason. But uh, his, his mum and dad had a bit more money than mine because he was an only child. So when it came to the park, because he had the proper military one from army stores, and he gave me his hand, down, hand me down, which was like this um, CNA special. <laughs> and it got like madness badges on it and all sorts. So like I was like kill plastic mud where he were like walking around with proper stuff. But I did manage to pull from a couple of things from my brother-in-law um, uh, and uh, our Stuart who were mods at the time. So Total Scars became part of my wardrobe and from my, my brother, uh, brother-in-law, Alan, because he, he had an original like mustard paisley one. And, um, when the when the mod movement came out, uh, re, re came out. There's this book that was um, produced, and I still you can still get it now. I think, and it's the um, I think it's just simply called the mods, and it's just a whole collection of black and white photographs taken from like about 1964, and that were our bible as kids. And we'd look at that and what clothes people were wearing, and there was this one guy with this, this dancing in this club, and he got like a a crew neck sweater and a, and, a, and a total scarf around his neck, and I just thought, wow, that's it. I'm 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 ahead of trend now with this, so that was became part of my my uh, my armor, and I, I collect tool scars from that day on, and still wear them now, thinking I'm still 16. Nothing so, wrong with so that. So that was the first that was the first kind of fashion movement for me, and then I, I um, moved on to sort of indie pop after that when I was I got to being about 18, because I was like only 14, 15 when uh, mod were out. You can't beat it. I mean, I. <laughs> I, my mum and dad, I got it like sort of broke down from them, yeah. and uh, I've not looked back. I just there's something about it when you're sticking on a two-tone suit and you got like oh, your, yeah. your loafers on, and you just know you look the absolute dog's yeah. bollocks. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Well, two but tones are kind of difficult things to get hold of. There's like kind of um, urban myth or legend that there was only one ream of two-tone material left in the whole world, <laughs> and this one guy had got it. But in the 70s, uh, you could get two-toed suits um, uh, from Harrington's, this shop in the market in Sheffield. So I went down, my dad had given me some money to get this suit, and everyone else, all my mates, uh, Paul Bow and that lot, they, they got these two-toned suits. It's such a gorgeous colour as well, because you've got the, like the steel and green colour, and you also got like a more than blue. And it's a great shimmer to either of those. And they, they were they were influential for us because uh, we were massively into the uh, specials and the two-tone trousers then, the stay press. Uh, so anyway, uh, I went down to get, get this two-tone suit from Arrington's and it sold out. I hadn't got any anywhere. All they got were like uh, jet black uh, three-button suit. 
which I bought begrudgingly, uh, one in that, but I was the only kid in like a black suit, which, is, which basically was the selector or, or look at that point. So uh, I got my sister to take my trousers up, so I had my white, <laughs> my white tube socks, sports socks were showing, <laughs> and flapping around, flapping around in this suit and uh, some uh, uh, air sobs. And rather than uh, Doc Martens, I got the like the knockoff um, army ones, whatever they were. Oh, what, what country were the sob, sob air ones? I'm not sure, but they were the knockoffs. And so I was flapping around in these size uh, size ten. Uh, um, uh, brogues <laughs> because that again uh, the madness first LP sleeve uh, one step beyond yeah you'd study that to death because of what they were wearing you look at the shoes and the brogues or the loafers and that's what you'd have to get that's your bible so like guys like yeah you guys or whatever go down to jump the gun or whatever and it's straight off the shelves uh, but for us <laughs> we took some uh, routine and we got some really bad uh, knockoff stuff at that point <laughs> I suppose I sort of take it for granted because as you said you know so lucky to have all them shops in Brighton you've got Jump the Gun you've got the Mod Father and they've got yeah. one in Camden as well yeah. and then you've got an excellent clothing run by Darren and it's, yeah. it's sort of take it for granted that it's all there rather than as you say I've heard so many stories with other people I've had on and they like you just mentioned you have to go and root for it and really put the graft in to find something you like <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah. probably a bit like finding a a, a single or a, a, an LP you want and you've got to root yeah. around and try and find the best one and I think yeah. we take it for granted now because everything's there isn't it it is it is um I think what one of the beauties though of, of, of any kind of music scene that has a uniform it is that kind of um it's 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 that order i don't know what it is it's just that you you aspire there's something to aspire to to get the right gear to be part of that and you know and it becomes a way of life in a sense you know you you'll you'll have seen guys on the mod scene who are my age and they're dressed to the to the ninth in all the right gear in a sense to the point where it's painful to to uh you know to live that life where you can't dress any anywhere else you know putting a pair of joggy bottoms on your slippers is just not the done thing you know it's kind of the sit, sit watching tv and you stay impressed <laughs> it's true uh, I, it's admir admirable and whether it's mod or whether or whatever I, I'm, I'm obsessed by that kind of the the this cold street culture and where it, where it really meant to be working class and how important it was to to have that uniform of whatever it was, the music, because it gave you an identity and it gave you an, an aspiration. I 100%, you know, you can sort of look at someone, look at their dress sense and sort of pinpoint and go, right, he definitely listens to the jam or, <laughs> yeah. or the who, the kinks, the clash. These days, people look at me and go, Oh, he's definitely his favourite album's probably like definitely maybe or something, and I'm like, <laughs> no, it ain't. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, you're interested in that because obviously when the Jam first came out, they were the Jam fans. Anyone who was a Jam fan was a Jam fan, and they dressed accordingly. They would look at old mod cons and then look for the uh, bowling shoes and or go, you know, get the knockoff ones or whatever. They would dress like members of the the Jam, and you'd you spot them a mile off at school at youth clubs and stuff. There's a lad who's uh, called Steve Gen, and um, oh, uh, I was talking about him the other day. Anyway, it's, uh, and they they just followed the jam up and down the country. Uh, Pete Skidmore, that's it, and they were just dressed in all the stuff. 
uh, that were on top of the pops practically the day after, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so, you know, again, it's just uh, great memories. Can't beat it. I remember when I, when I, I mean, the jam and my favourite band and I listen right. to them religiously every day. I remember <laughs> looking at the photos and seeing in this particular photo, it was Bruce Foxton wearing the mm. bowling shoes. And I went, oh my God, I've got to go and get a pair of them. Right? <laughs> and I remember one day we all went to, it was like, AMC bowling or something in Crawley mm. with my mum, my dad and me. Uh, and um, I left my shoes there. <laughs> I left my shoes there, took a pair of bowling shoes and it weren't till we got home because I, uh, I think they were like, they were then Michael Owen shoes or something that he brought out, kickers huh? or something and they lit up at the bottom. I was only a young, yeah. you know, quite a young lad. I, I wouldn't be bowling around in a pair of light up shoes now. But um, <laughs> I remember I got home and oh, they weren't, they weren't pleased. So we had to go back down the bowling alley <laughs> I had to give them back, oh, yeah. and in the end, I got a pair from I think it's called Madcap, and they're they're spot on. And I recently mm -hmm. bought another pair, probably last year. But you know, I'd wear them because I feel comfortable in them, and I think they look absolutely mm -hmm. immaculate. You know, they, they look brilliant. But people who don't get the scene, they just look at you and go, "He ain't right in the head. Where he? Where's he going for a game of bowling or something?" You know what I mean? You really yeah. do have to have. You, yeah. you've got to, I sort of have yeah. a pair of bollocks to wear something like that in you. Yeah, there's a pair of trainers that uh, a company uh, produced, and the other there's the trainers that uh, Jimmy wears on the Who record sleeve. Yes, oh, I know exactly. Yes, because um... I don't know what the original make of those was, but I think someone reproduced them about uh, eight, eight or nine years ago, and obviously they sold out, and you can't get them now. But I don't know. But again, that that they're a classic trainer. Beautiful man, beautiful. You have to take me shopping in Sheffield one day. <laughs> <laughs> you won't be getting out mob. <laughs> I've been to Sheffield a few times, especially when Fulham were playing oh, uh, right. against, against your beloved club, mate, yeah, Sheffield right. Wednesday. I've been many a time. So, <laughs> going on to the football beat, you, you, uh, Sheffield Wednesday's ground is easily one of the best grounds I've been to because it's still got that like heritage of an old sort of yeah. club. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's very really few... At least it's better than the football at the moment. Anyway, <laughs> the <ground. laughs> that's why I was going to talk about them at the, at the hey. end of the podcast. But I mean, this, yeah. I mean, same as like Fulham's ground. Yeah. It's a real like it's old school. But then they've built this new stand up, and I know you've got to move with the times, and mm. they've built the new stand. But it's just I used to maybe I'm just still old school like my old man. But I used to love going in there, and you know, still had that old school vibe. But yeah, I mean, it, like Everton's ground, and they're, they're getting yeah, they, moved into a new ground, get, didn't yeah, they? I, don't know. I, I mean, for us, it's Wednesday. It's the, the thought of moving to like some conglomerate um, oval is just like a nightmare scenario, you know. And I don't know how clubs like, like say, for instance, West Ham and, and Everton, who and, and Arsenal, yeah, who've got so much history under the feet and they sat on it, and they're now having to just go to this this plastic um, edifice and uh, I don't know I don't I, I mean it may happen to Wednesday and we may deal with that but at the moment it, it's, it feels like an abomination to do that it's like you it's part of your heritage isn't it yeah oh definitely I mean the old Upton Park you know West Ham's old ground was brilliant it had such an intimidating atmosphere oh, right, yeah. and I mean you go to their I think it's the Olympic Stadium or something now and it's just just ain't the same. Do you know what no, I mean? No. You're just so far away from the pitch. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that the West Ham fans hate it. I don't, I don't know for. A, I don't know that, but I'd be surprised if they love it. 
They probably love it when they're winning the yeah, yeah, Europa League, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Get the results. Nobody cares. But let's go back to art, mate. And right. you've um, you've you sort of brung your your two loves, if you don't mind me saying, in art and music together. And you started mm. doing some. There was the Oasis posters you did, didn't you, for their gig in? Help me out, uh, Pete. In Brighton. That's the one. That was it. The first one I did with them, and then uh, I did a couple actually for their their final, like their Wembley Day and the Heaton, yeah, Heaton Park as well. So that was a, play, a privilege to do those because I'd uh, originally I'd, I'd sent uh, Nola one of my pictures uh, just as a just as a gift, just as a random hopeful uh, punt that he might like it, and then promote me, <laughs> you know, as in uh, talk about me and make me famous. <laughs> but funnily enough, he did. He actually liked it and rang me up, the bugger. Uh, I were at home uh, in my council house on Batemore and uh, I get this phone call and it's uh, Noel. Noel is actually on the phone talking to me. saying, all right, mate, uh, thanks. Thanks so much for this picture. It's beautiful. I just absolutely love it. It's, it's brilliant. And I'm like, absolutely gobsmacked. You know, just cooking the uh, boiling up potatoes for, um, for mash and stuff in, in kitchen and I'm just talking to Noel Gallagher <laughs> like he's uh, you know like he's on my phone all the time uh, so I had this little conversation with him and he put the phone down and I'm like gobsmacked and then three minutes later rings me back and says oh hang on I've got an idea will you just do some uh, do, do a, a charity thing with me I've got this thing and I need to find an artist would you be up for it so obviously I said yeah no problem and it was this giant fiberglass Les Paul, that uh, Gibson had produced these, I think there was about 30 of them, and uh, each musician had got an artist. So Weller got Peter Blake, and uh, Noel got me. And so I replicated the image that I originally sent to Noel, which was uh, a good education, which is this kid just sat on the edge of his bed with his guitar, learning to play the guitar, listening to, um, at that point, I think I'd, I'd got, um, I think it was a class, um, Clash, maybe I can't remember now, but yeah, I think the Clash is mentioned and the Beatles obviously is on there. And so, I, but what I did with Noel is, is pick all his favorite albums when you were a kid and what, he, what and now. So, there are about 20 albums got referenced on this big piece of artwork. And from there on in, we had this relationship where um, I'd, I'd help him out with some artwork and he'd ask me for doing stuff. And it's been like it's been like that ever since. So, been working with him on the Teenage Cancer Trust stuff as well. And he got me involved with those, and so I do posters for other bands whenever there's the gigs every year for Teenage Cancer Trust, and that raises a few bobs. So it's really great. We're going to talk more about Noel in a little while because um, I'd like to bring up a little, a lovely story um, about him and, and you, actually. So we're oh, going right. to come back to that in a minute. But I want to know what, what's your favourite bit of artwork you've done, mate? Well, ever. Ever. Yeah. yeah. Well. I um, I lost my mum when I was um, seven to cancer and so I don't really have any many memories of her so when I started doing all this art I started putting characters together because obviously mine's quite pictorial work and it's uh, references you know everyday life and so then I started doing paintings of my mum and they were imagined scenes that I'd not had before and so there's this one called Castle Market where there's me on this like ride like, a, you know, you put five pence and it goes backwards and forwards. And then my mum stood next to me uh, with the big heavy shopping bags from the market trip. And it was kind of this sort of thing that we would do is that she'd drag me around the market. I complain like bloody hell. <laughs> and eventually she'd yield and give in and let me have a treat of some kind. And it's so, 
uh, I used a ride as that kind of treat. Normally it was uh, a little kind of cheap plastic gift on one of these sort of carousels of um, you'd find in like on the shops, out on the front of shops. So it'd be like, you know, just like kind of um, magnet games and stuff like that, really crap. So that was, this, that was the scene. It was on the really early paintings as well that I did. And it was kind of in a, when I was trying to discover and work out my style. So it kind of grounded, it was ground, uh, not groundbreaking, but it was, it, it, it laid the foundations. That's what I'm looking for to, to what came next in a sense. And, but I did actually flog it, even though I knew, I knew at the point that it was my favorite painting, but I did it as a dare to myself that if I'm going to be um, serious about being a professional artist, I have to sell work. Yeah. So I, I deliberately sell my favorite painting just to prove that that's what, that's what my career is. What a beautiful story, honestly. That's brilliant, man. And thank you for sharing that with me, man. Now, I'd like to, I know I said a minute ago about Noel. Um, before I get onto that story, let's talk about this bad boy. Hey, <laughs> now, what an honor. Hey, to, and you, you've you got the mention. I mean, obviously, he's probably sent you about 20 copies uh, just, of these, isn't he? Just the one. <laughs> I mean, in the, in the inside to say, you know, uh, it's got a bit, you know, um, Titled by kind permission from artists yeah. yourself. I mean, that yeah. is class, no, no, isn't it? Honestly. I mean, yeah. how did that I, go? Because that was a similar story. Didn't he just ring you he up? He did, he did. He just rang me up. Uh, uh, at this point, I got his name in my phone, so I knew it were. <laughs> <laughs> so he rang up and, yeah, he said, oh, man, I've just written this song. It's the best song I've ever written. Well, we're looking at your book and uh, that I just want to use that as the title. Would you mind? I said, you know, yes, not a problem. Get on with it. Brilliant. And then that was like a year, a year later, the, the album gets released and he starts talking about it. And what's amazed me is I, I've never seen, I've never seen an album be talked about the title as much as any of the songs on it. You know what I mean? It's really odd. I don't know why it suddenly captured people's imaginations in that respect, but you know, you're even on Jules on and not to talk about me, Paul Burger. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I, you know, amazing. I'm, you know, absolute blessed. Do, do you have a favorite a favorite song off the album? That was Castle Sky, isn't it? It's got. Kind of I mean, I, I, I thought you I might have like, gone for something it. a bit I love different. That first and two chords that, that start here, gorgeous. Oh, it's beautiful. I can't look past Pretty Boy for me. That uh, like I've yeah. I'm, I must play that about three four times a day. Right, <laughs> I'm playing it, and the missus is like, "Don't please don't play it again. Don't play it again." It's it's a low, it's a standing joke. I turn I turn the uh, the speaker on, and she's like looking at me, going, "You better not. You better not." <laughs> I can't help it. I just think it's a beautiful song. Yeah, I'm just relieved it's a good album. I just didn't want my name to be over some of the pile of crap. Not that it ever gonna be, but you know. But <laughs> what was it's a real, you know, it's pull it out of the bag, bless him. <laughs> it is class, though, isn't it? I mean, what, oh, what an honor! What yeah, an honor, man! Yeah. I mean, I not as good as I mean that is class, man. But similar, I'm on the credits of Paul Weller's album on Sunset, so right. I'm happy with that. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I was in the studio one day with him and he said that there was a bit where they needed some hand claps and he's like, I know someone who's good with his hands. Magic, get in there, son. And I mean, what an honour for me to do that. And I think it ended up going number one. So I'm technically, I'm part of a number one album. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. And then I retired after that. Yeah, man. I, I went down to Blackburn once 
beautiful place and it just yeah i mean um i, I would because of the um guitar thing that we'd done um i, I talked to nikki well yeah. which is his sister sister right, yeah his mum and she said oh whenever you want out signing just let us know we'll uh, we'll get paul to do it for you it'll be a pleasure so i thought well fuck that then i'm gonna get to sign something then so i did this uh, i'd done this scooter uh, that jason uh, my mate had let me have to to do some artwork on this lambretta and so i got the headstock and uh, said so i've got this headstock that wants signing can i pop down and get paul to sign it so i ended all the way down to to blackburn studios and it, it wasn't in at the point we we're just hanging around so while while i was waiting for paul to turn up i just had a look around the actual studio itself and you've held this guitar and i just looked at it and it's the wham guitar the yes. the uh, <laughs> Lichtenstein, um guitar which is because i sit on top of the pops oh fuck, you know he's just you, our minds exploded as kids what a how cool it's the coolest guitar in the whole world and there it is and just there on the racks with all these other uh rickies and i just got to just just look at it and that were enough and then he comes storming in eating a pie with craddock and he slammed the uh, jukebox on and started dancing some northern soul while they were just uh, waiting and lo and behold, on that same day before I left, Noel Gallagher came through though. <laughs> he, were, he were recording with him for the 22 Dreams album. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I, I, took, I took Noel to one side at that point. I said, no, I've got this idea for a, a, for one of your albums. You know Quadrophenia with that booklet? Yes. He went, yeah, he says, I want to do a, an artwork booklet for you. He went, fuck off. He says, you know how much it costs to do an album sleeve? <laughs> So yeah, that idea never got off the ground. <laughs> Fucking brilliant! I've I've never I've never met Noel, but similar to what you just said, when I I left, when did I leave? Oh no, I think it was the day before or something. I, I and I literally just missed Noel. He said to me when I last saw him, or when I saw him the time after, he said, "Oh, that time you come over like ten minutes later, Noel turned up." I was like, oh, oh, "Fucking!" Oh. He couldn't have given me a call. I, I would have done. I would have done a U-turn on the motorway just to get there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I went recently. Me and my partner went to um, a Q and A uh, with Noel, or a, a conversation with Noel in Kingston. Oh, and right. what I wanted to bring up is, he was. I wish I recorded it because it ain't going to do it justice. Me talking about you, but but the way he spoke about you, he, he was. It was just so lovely, and he, he spoke so highly of you. Really? And uh, it, it, it must be such an honour to have someone like that who not only loves your work but classes you as a friend no, as well. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, yeah, very touching. Um, absolutely, but you know, it's it's hard because I've only met him a couple of times in the flesh, and I think I'd crumble actually if I was stood next to him. You know, it, it, yeah, you've you've seen you you've done your magic with lots of bands and you you take it on the chin i should imagine 90 percent of the time you get used to being with people um in bands and things but there are certain people no matter who uh you, you just can't can't comprehend having a conversation with them you won't even know where to begin would you no. and i know that uh, as, as sweet as noel is uh yeah i, I think i i don't know i'd blow it probably <laughs> there, there was a uh... There's a bit where you actually wrote a question that could have got, um, you know, answered on the on the day, and uh, I was like, what, "What would you ask him that? Everyone else is going to ask him like about Oasis and this mm -hmm. and that. I want to ask him something different." So 
I went on tour in January and February with the Brian Jonestown massacre, right? Oh, yeah. And what I know, what a guy. Uh, brilliant guy, man. And I know that they did a load of drugs with the Brian Jonestown <laughs> massacre years ago in San Francisco. <laughs> so I messaged Joel G on the tambourine player and said, what question would you ask him, mate? He said, ask him if he would ever reconsider doing crystal meth with me again. And I was like, (laughs) 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 so anyway, I wrote that question in, it never got answered. And then the missus wrote in, um, she just said, why don't you ask him if he wants to see a card trick? And I was like, yeah, but what if he says, who the fuck likes magic? Then I would have to shout out, your brother does. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. in the end, the, my questions didn't get answered. Oh, but, um, I wonder why. Sim- <laughs> no, no, probably, yeah. But I mean, similar to what you said, if, I, if I, I don't think I could have a conversation with them. That's one thing doing magic, and I've built a relationship up around yeah. lots of lovely people who have idolised. But if I was stood in front of him trying to have a normal conversation, like you just said, I probably would crumble and go. Yeah, you've got to wonder as well, though, haven't you? It's a curse, isn't it, for for him and any band, like, and then for, for Liam and, 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 you know, where... They they built to a status where everyone they meet is a jabbering wreck, and you're never going to have a decent conversation with anybody apart from like your wife or whatever. And uh, so it must be not only sometimes with the wife. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I fell off my chair then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Listen, I've got um, a a warning for you. That is me. My battery going to run might die out soon. So do you want to? A two-minute break and I run and get a charger, or should we keep going? Pete, we'll keep going. I've got a few more, mate, and uh, it's, then, then we'll call it, because yeah, honestly, right. I no don't want to spend... I'm on 10%, just right. to let you know. I don't know how long we'll, we'll have a few more yeah, then, right. mate, just before you go. Um, I, t- I tell you what, what I want to know is, like, what does the next 12 months hold for you? We know you've got the exhibition, you've touched up on that at the mm-hmm. beginning, but what else you got in the pipeline? I've got to work on a new show for um, Sheffield Museums at Western Park. They've asked me to do a um, an exhibition there, but it's going to be on for like 11 months. And that's so that's going to be a really big major show for me. And so I'm going to start working on that for, for next year. And I've got some other projects as well that I want to work on too. So uh, I'll be busy. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I also want to do a pop-up show, but because of this Western Park one, I want to go up to Scotland and I want to go to Glasgow and exhibit up there. And I've got an idea for a show for that. Uh, but that'll be after the year after, which will be like 25. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> and also with this Western Park one, I've got to come up with an idea for it. <laughs> so uh, not, I've got a rough idea where I want to be with it, but uh, I've got to start scratching my head. I've just got to get this one finished over the line, this this latest one, and then I can get, get working. Brilliant, man. Well, brilliant. Well, before your phone dies, I'm going to love oh, you, right, right. you got, mate. We got a okay moment. <laughs> right. You still got you, you still obviously we know about yourself in Sheffield, uh, Sheffield Wednesday. You still going as much as you can? Well, no, I've got. This is well, it's not a story. It's, it's your band. Um, basically, uh, after I had my liver transplant, um, I decided I needed to do something. Uh, oh no, actually. The liver transplant brought on uh, the concept of the liver transplant, the, sorry, the, the transplant games, which is basically, it's like, it's like the Olympics, but for people who've had transplants. And uh, I wanted to compete in it. Um, and the only thing that was open to me, really, that I wanted to do was either play darts or, or, or play golf. And I've never played golf, but my brother, who was a maintenance fitter, he, he's played it all his life. We, he, we played by 
learned to play using Nick golf clubs from the pitch and put on our local park at Grace Park. So we were just chugging golf, uh, golf, uh, golf balls on the backfield when we were like 10. And so I, I decided to have a go at it, at the old golf and compete in the uh, transplant games. And I enjoyed it so much. It's such an addictive thing to do that I decided to uh, substitute my season ticket fee for a golf membership. So, no way. <laughs> I know. And, you know, it's, it, the, the problem is, is golf's got such a bad reputation. It's just basically uh, full of Tories or whatever. But there's a group of us and we're all like, like-minded artists and stuff. And we're all uh, leftists. And so we've got this little cabal of left wingers playing golf <laughs> in the middle of like Tory town. <laughs> I, I used to play a little bit of golf, yeah. um, but I weren't, I weren't ever any good, mate. The best, the best two balls I ever hit was when I stepped on a rake. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm shit too. I'm terrible at golf, uh, but oh, I enjoy so it. I remember me and my dad played once and we bought these new, I think it was tightless, tightless balls, right? Oh, yeah. It was like a 20... Expensive ones, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't pay, but I, I, listen, yeah. I didn't. It was my old man did. And I think there was about, I think there was about 16 or something like that in the box, right? Uh, no word of a lie. By the end of the, at the, end of the round, there was about two left. <laughs> I was awful, mate. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. It was like the trees had a magnet <laughs> and every time I boom, straight yeah. in the rough, mate. So, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, if you're a bad golfer, if you end up actually finding more golf balls than your bit, because <laughs> <laughs> you're just in the grass trying to find yours. You go, oh no, there's another one here. I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but maybe, maybe me and you can have a game of crazy golf. Oh, I mean, there's is there oh, any crazy yes. golf near you? I'm pretty good yeah. at that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's that. It's the trendy stuff now, isn't it? Oh. Where they've got uh, you know golf fang or whatever. It's a good laugh. They've opened up a new crazy golf near me um obviously in belfast there's a I can't think what it's called but it's like a jungle and all that and they've mm. like cocktails and stuff like that and i'm thinking what Do you know <laughs> what i mean like i make it competitive if i want to play golf you know or go crazy <laughs> golf like that's me mate yeah. like, i'm going for it i don't want to yeah, start yeah. walking around with a cocktail looking like del trotter <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I respect your professionalism with the, the great noble sport of crazy golf i turned up with a cat and everything <laughs> <laughs> happy Gilmore man <laughs> but honestly Pete I've really enjoyed chatting to you mate it's, it's, been it's a pleasure mate it's been no, brilliant pleasure it's all mine um, being an admirer of your work for for many years oh, now and thank as you I so hope much. you know and you know to, it means a lot mate to have someone you know follow me and, and yeah. enjoy one another's work it's, it's, it's brilliant mate so thank hey, you can for, I, I mean, ask you a question then yeah yeah I, how long does it take you to to practice? How many hours? Because obviously it's seamless what you do. So that that comes with time, doesn't it, and effort? So my sort of story is I, I started at a young age with a Paul Daniels magic set when I was about yeah, right. six or seven. My yeah. mum and dad bought it for me. And I, I practiced religiously every day to the point where I used to charge my parents to watch me. I used to put on a little show and charge them a pound to watch me, like mental in it. And then I just kept practicing and practicing. And I, I never wanted to be a magician. That's the truth. I, w I wanted to be a footballer. And I, I, I remember I was, uh, exactly, I wanted to play for Fulham and that. And in the end, I used to do a lot of trials for Crawley Town Football Club when they had John Hollins was the manager, the ex-Chelsea boy and that. And I, I just, I wasn't ever as good. I was very fit, but I weren't as good. So I went down the magic route and... 
some tricks would take me a matter of hours to pick up the method and then what it is is it'll take a few weeks or so to sort of make it your own if you know what i mean because and everyone could i tell everyone this when they say oh you know you've got to be special to learn a trick anyone can learn the trick but it's how you sort of broadcast it that's the real art of magic mm. you know anyone can go pick a card or it's in the deck oh there it is like that like but there's no real there's yeah. no real entertainment to yeah. that and then some tricks have took me like there's this one move with a deck of cards um, flicking the deck out and uh, flicking this card out in a unique way. It's called a hot shot cut, and it's more of a flourish than a trick. But you could you can do it as a trick. That took me months to to try and sort of manipulate this deck of cards to try and flick it around the little finger to the point where yeah. I was getting so annoyed. I just had to like I was throwing decks of cards away because I was ripping. It was so frustrating. Yeah. But you persevere and you get it in the end. But you know, some some tricks take longer than others. The real big hitters take longer yeah. than others. But yeah. where I am now is I'm 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 really happy with the tricks I learnt. So I just I add a little now and then. I'll put a, a one in that suits my personality and that. And at the moment, it's a lot of like stage comedy ones, similar okay. to something you'd see Tommy Cooper do or something. Oh, right. I've done a lot a lot of stage shows recently in the last six months or so. So just been doing big big tricks that that just made people laugh and at the yeah. end of the day if people are in entertained seeing what I do then I'm happy you know I, I would never do a trick like cutting a woman in half or something like that because it doesn't really represent my it's not doesn't really suit the personality with me there's no real yeah. funny way of doing it although Tommy Cooper did it with a woman who was so big she couldn't even fit in the box could she <laughs> it was mental I remember I got invited to go on this um Tommy Cooper's greatest moments or something with Channel 5 and they said right you've got to talk about Tommy Cooper and I was like oh my god this is my dream right? <laughs> and they sent me a script of tricks I was just doing the trick like all of these tricks I think there was 40 moments and about 15 or 16 of them were all magic related so I was looking through them and picking out my favourite ones and this this one where they had the woman and they said right describe it I said well it's really funny he had this really big woman and she was quite a big fat woman and he was like mate we've got to stop you there you can't say that we can't we can't put that on there I, was like, oh, I didn't mean it like that like I think because I was so nervous on yeah, the, yeah you know being filmed yeah. and that it just come out I was saying yeah this really big fat woman I didn't mean that at all because I would never offend anyone but it just come across so bad but the way he did it he was I mean he was he was in a league of his own the stuff he did uh, when he used to pretend he was playing the organ and then he'd walk through it and it was like saloon doors like yeah. absolute genius yeah. man it's like yeah. if if in 50 years time someone remembers a trick I did right then I'll be happy <laughs> do you know yeah, what yeah. I mean yeah but, yeah it, it, but the thing was as, as, as well as the genius of the comedy is the, the presentation the, the way that the character he'd, he'd created that persona it's, it's, it's a bit Dan Laurel in that in that respect. He was Mate. a probable goof, a goon, wasn't he? Do you know it's actually harder to do the trick and make it look wrong than it is to do the <laughs> trick the right way? Like the yeah. way he would do the trick but make it look wrong, like it is pure genius because yeah. I, I mentioned this on the show, like I've actually tried it and it just doesn't look right. Like he just, it, I, I can't describe, like he just, he saw things from a different angle and it's 
he must have I think the story is he, he used to do tricks in, in the army or something and, and they went wrong and people used to laugh at him and he thought, hang about, <laughs> if I'm getting a better reaction when the tricks are going wrong, why yeah. should I even try and get them right? <laughs> but yeah, he's, I love watching his stuff, mate. But yeah. Pete, thanks again for joining uh, me, mate. Pleasure. A pleasure. All right, man. I'm, I'm sure we'll speak again soon because I would like to I'm pop sure. down to that exhibition. All right, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll uh, let you know all about it. I wish you all the best with that, mate. Yes, Chief. Thank you for your time and have a lovely evening. All right, up the morning. <laughs> yes, up the Wednesday. Yeah, all right. <laughs> up the Fulham. Yes. <laughs> See you, mate. <laughs> Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Everything's worth a silver man We'll flick over the wrist and it's gone